Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional grade industrial supplies. Count on real time product availability and fast delivery. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Welcome to Greenlit, the Buffalo 8 podcast. I'm your host, Matthew Halderman, and each week we're going to dive into a different piece of content, film and television, and we're going to talk with some of the biggest names in front of and behind the camera as we dive deep into how they were financed, produced, developed, marketed, and the crazy stories behind how many of them got made. Welcome back to Greenlit. On today's episode, we're chatting with producer and recent first-time director, Randall Emmett. We spend the majority of the episode talking about Randy's experience working with legendary director Martin Scorsese. We also talk about his recent turn in starring on camera on the hit reality show Vanderpump Rules. Randy's a really interesting guy, a great storyteller, has an infectious amount of energy, and in many ways really represents some of the old-school ways of producing. But there are also areas of Brandy's career that we don't touch on, including working for Mark Wahlberg, producing over 100 plus projects with stars like Stallone, Schwarzenegger, and Bruce Willis. So without further ado, enjoy this conversation with Randall Emmett talking about Silence and the Irishman with Martin Scorsese. Welcome back to Greenlit. On today's episode, I'm chatting with producer and now director Randall Emmett. So, Randy, thanks for taking the time, man. Thanks, buddy. Thanks for having me. Of course. We've, uh, we've made a couple of pictures together over the years, and something tells me a couple more coming up here shortly. But yeah. uh, you've made 113 films as a producer online, and I'm sure you're going to tell me it's even more than that at this point because there's more things in the, in the hopper, I'm sure. But yeah. I wanted to talk mainly about The Irishman and Silence, and I know those two projects are pretty linked in terms of how they got greenlit. And you're a great storyteller, so I'm guessing I'm not going to be doing very much talking other than saying, <laughs> how did they get greenlit, Randy? Um, well, it started like this. You know, everybody dreams of making a movie with Martin Scorsese, including myself. Uh, you know, I went to film school in New York City, and obviously Marty it was, is a topic in any film school or any filmmaker's aspirations. Uh, you know, every, everybody's inspired by Martin Scorsese. So there was a moment where my agent uh, called me R. Emanuel, who represents Marty, and said, you know, that movie Silence I told you about years ago, they, you know, I said, do you want to do it? And I said, that movie was like $75 million. You know, I, I, I can't raise $75 million for this movie. He goes, no, 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 the budget's way less. Um, and, uh, and I said, well, what do I do? And, and at the same time, they were having table reads for Irishmen. But like in New York, but the idea was whoever did Silence would get to be to, to get a two picture deal, get to do Irish. But Irish, for obviously being a more commercial movie, but Silence being Marty's passion. And I didn't know Martin Scorsese at all. Um, I was I so immediately I said, "What do I have to do?" He said, "Get on a plane, go to New York, and tell Marty why you should make this movie." I was like, "Okay, great." So next thing I know, a couple of days later, I'm booking a ticket. And I found out that Erwin Winkler, who I had produced the movie he directed called Home of the Brave, 
was kind of in the middle of all this. And, and that was great for me because I had somebody that was close to home and could kind of give me an update and break it down for me budget wise and what they had been going through. Um, and I found out that this is Marty's passion movie of like 20 plus years that Graham King and a bunch of different producers, different incarnations, Daniel Day Lewis had been attached, many different actors. So I was super pumped and Irishman obviously was like, you know, right in Marty's wheelhouse. So I was like, whatever it takes, I'm going to New York. I'm going to give it everything I got. And I'm just going to, you know, say what I got to say to hopefully get the chance to do this deal. So I, I landed in New York. I had lunch with Irwin a uh, block from his office. And then we went upstairs and this is kind of all blur the first meeting, but long story short, I'm trying to make it not as long, but I went into his screening room and Emma uh, Tillinger, who's his partner came in and Marty came in. He was dressed like he always is immaculate in his Italian suits. And, uh, you know, shorter than me, which is shocking. And, uh, and Irwin, and he came in and he's like, all right. So, uh, you know, Ari tells me, blah, blah, blah. and I, and, and I kind of like checked out and I was like, here's the deal, Marty. Can I call you Marty? He's like, yeah. I said, I just want to be able to say that. I said, there's nothing I can tell you as a producer. If I made 500 movies or five movies, that's going to change how you make a film. I said, but all I care about is the opportunity to be part of history and one day say that my name's side by side with yours. So I will do whatever it takes to support your vision, to be there. And I know this movie's taken 20 plus years, but I will get this movie made under any circumstance to be able to be side by side with you. And we went on and we talked back and forth and, you know, et cetera. And at the end of the meeting, he's like, well, thanks for coming. And I was like, that's it like tell me no or and i got on the plane and i and i think i landed in la that night like it was the next day and i got a call and they're like that marty loved you he thinks you're great he what you it's yours and i'm like what and then i was like so stoked and i was like flipping out and then like the work began i was like so, so and there were a lot of things like there were a lot of things that marty had never done that i needed to get him to do in order for this movie to work. And the first, the, the, the first thing we did is work on the budget, me and Emma, Irwin, Rick Yorn, and Marty. And we worked on the budget to get it to a place that we thought, you know, that I thought was financeable. Um, and then the next thing that, the two things that I needed him to do that were very, very difficult that he had never done were, I needed to bond him, uh, you know, as an independent financier, you, uh, you have to get a bond. So they thought I was speaking gibberish. And they were all like, want Martin Scorsese to be bonded? And I was like, yeah. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. 
Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. And, and, I was, and so they, they all laughed at first, and then the process began. I remember taking the Bond Company in New York to meet him, and he was great. Like, it was everything opposite of what I thought I was going to go through. He, he, you know, he knew the passion he had for silence was so strong that there really was not a no. And, and, you know, I had a great team with Emma and Rick and Erwin kind of helping me navigate, you know, Mark Scorsese. Um, But great. So we got to that. And then I remember the big thing was I called them up and I said, look, uh, a lot of people have heard about this movie for 20 years. None of the international buyers believe Martin's ever going to do this movie. So I have an idea. And they're like, what's that? And I said, we're going to go to Cannes. And we're going to sell the movie together. And they're like, so you want Martin Scorsese to go to the market, sit in a room, I don't know what I was thinking, but I was so obsessed, you know, with delivering for him, you know, and being the guy that got that movie made. And I was like, yeah, this is the only way. Because if they meet Martin Scorsese, I had done it with, uh, Pete Berg on Lone Survivor, and I had done it with some other directors. And I, I just said, Martin Scorsese is Martin Scorsese. And, you know, when you sit with him for 15 minutes, it's like sitting in history. You know, you'll never. Yep. So, uh, so we went to Cannes. We, we, Can. um, we got there like two days before, so Marty could adjust to the jet lag. I flew over with him. And um, I remember getting there. It was so surreal because I usually come four days in. I was there like three days before. It was like ghost town. And, uh, and then it started. We did like three days straight with, um, with we, uh, oh, sorry. So back, backwards, sorry. I sold the foreign at that point to uh, Len Blavatnik um, for, for equity. And then he went and hired Stuart Ford to sell off the foreign. So Stuart led the charge with us over there. Uh, and we sat in a room for 10 hours a day and these buyers came in droves and it was amazing because, you know, he holds court like a king, you know, and if you're a film, you know, buff like I am, you know, you just, the stories and the whole thing. And we sold out, you know, we did phenomenal. And so that, so the three big hurdles that I, that I changed like my life as a producer were, um, one, uh, bonding Mark Scorsese, I thought I would get fired. Two, taking Marty to Cannes, thought I would get fired. That was a big debate. That went on for a while. And, um, and convincing, and, and, and thank God that he was so passionate and, and was going to do you know, what he had to do to get to production. And the last call that I ever got, and, and you know, I could talk for hours about flying to Taiwan and starting pre-production and going on director scouts and bands with Marty and Rodrigo Prieto and the greatest, you know, uh, crew in the world and, you know, tech scouts and all this stuff was that, that part of the process was epic. You know, um, the third part that I thought I was going to get fired was, um, uh, when we didn't get Daniel Day Lewis because, you know, he had just, you know, I think, uh, he had come off uh, Lincoln, I think it was Lincoln, and he was just taking time off, and it just timing didn't work for the movie. And Marty uh, wanted uh, to cast Javier Bardem, um, and who's the greatest actor that ever lived, and I'd only be so lucky to get him. And I, I just said that, you know, for my financing, you know, we're gonna we need to get somebody. Uh, 
um, who has a little more foreign value. Uh, well, let me back that up so I don't get in trouble. Let's back that up. So yeah. casting, Marty, you know, had a very specific idea to put in the, the role, uh, the Liam Neeson role. And I felt that if we put this particular actor in that role, that the numbers wouldn't support the vision that Marty wanted. So I called Rick Yorn and I told everybody this and they're like, okay, you're going to get back on a plane and you're going to go back to New York and you're going to tell Marty this. And I said, what? I said, I'm not, you're going to send me to New York to tell the greatest filmmaker in history who he can cast. And they go, well, it's not really like that. I said, no, it is like that. So I fly to New York. I walk into his uh, flat and um, it's his casting director. It's Rick Yorn. It's Emma. It's Irwin. It's me, George. It's like a whole arsenal and it's Marty. And this was very early on. This is before can, I think. But yeah, before can, I, I'm almost sure right after. And, um, and, and they, Marty goes, so uh, here you have ideas. Now, three days before I went there, I called every agent in town and it's like a producer's dream. Like I brought up Brad Pitt, George Clooney, Tom, people I will, you know, you, you would pray to get in the movie and they all were open. Like, Oh, Marty. Yes. But, and I'm like writing it down. I think I'm being the greatest producer ever. I'm checklisting. I've got 15 movie stars. It's the greatest three days of my life. I fly in. It's all quiet in the room. And Marty says, uh, okay, so who are your ideas? And I was like, okay. And I got my paper and I was like, oh, uh, this person. And he's like, eh, not really right. This person. No, uh, you know, I love him. He's one of my favorite, but just, just not for this. And I'm like, I go 10 names down the list and shot down. I'm sweating. I'm definitely like, it's over. Silence is over. And, um, and I get to uh, Liam Neeson, and he has this, like, you know, Marty is very collaborative. Like, even with, like, somebody like me who he never had to be. And Emma used to always say, like, he really, really opened up to you and was very um, collaborative through the process more than she's ever seen with an outside producer. And I got to Liam, and he just looked at me, and he said, I like that idea. He goes, I've thought of him, and, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm going to call him. And and, and I got on the plane. I thought it was over. And by the next day or the day after, he had already had dinner with him. And his agent was driving over to my office to sit in my back room and read the script because we wouldn't let the script out. And I'm like, I've tried to get Liam Neeson for five years at $20 million a movie and got shot down every time. And this, is, you know, this, is, this taught me that actors, even though you know this, you don't really understand the value You know when you're you know, moving into this next level of being a producer, that actors, although everyone wants to work for a paycheck, at the end of the day, if they have the right filmmaker, they'll work for free, you know? And that's what I learned from Marty. Like, the, the greatest filmmakers out there are the greatest filmmakers for a reason. And Liam signed on, and from there, we got Paramount to take the movie out domestically. And then we, uh, you know, went produced the film and it was just an epic experience of every proportion that you could think of creatively, you know, just watching. I mean, I was in awe, you know, I'd sit on the set next to it. I'm like, listen to him, talk to his AD, David Webb and Rodrigo and Dante. And it's, it's just like, you're like a fly on the wall. And even though he wants your opinion and you collaborate and these jokes around, it's still, you know, that this is the great Martin Scorsese. So from there, you know, the movie, got done and and uh 
and then from there, Irishman came up, and you know, I was attached to um, uh, Irishman via Silence, and I wanted to finance Irishman independently. And then there was an independent version that kind of started a little bit, but the budget, you know, was very large, and yeah. no independent truly could have financed that movie in at least in my opinion and uh they were we were lucky that it ended up going to netflix and netflix wrote a, a gigantic check and supported marty's vision on every level and you know now i get to say i've produced two martin scorsese movies and it's like part of nobody you know nobody could take that away from you and it's hollywood history for me you know as as a as a guy that went to film school in new york and came up on uh, Scorsese movies. So that's kind of in a nutshell, you know, I'm giving you the cliff notes. I love it. Was the toughest experience of my career. It took, it took me like two and a half years, you know, to, to get into that place. It was very, very brutal to, to, you know, to, to sell a movie that isn't right on the nose in terms of international and domestic. Curious, Randy, I didn't intend or prep to ask this question, but you've reinvented yourself in the company and the films you've produced many times over throughout your yeah. career. If you made silence today, you'd have to make it completely differently. I'm guessing the answer is yes. Yeah, I think I'd have to make it differently. I think, well, first of all, I think a streamer would probably yeah. step in. You know, I, I think I probably would have had an easier time to be honest. I right. think I, we, we were so new in the streaming world, you know, when we made silence, you know, and I think today, you know, you have Apple and Hulu and Netflix and Disney Plus. And I mean, there's just so many. And I think today you have a lot more outlet. But, right. but yeah, I think you definitely, I think the international markets change dramatically. Um, and I think, I think things would be different for sure. It might be a little easier, might be a little trickier in other parts of it. But, but, uh, but, I, but I do appreciate that you've noticed, because, you know, I always say this to George, every five years, I try to reinvent the company because otherwise yeah. you just go out of business. You know, yeah. the international kid at one, at one point in our career, when we started DVD sold through the roof another part foreign sold through the roof and then parts of foreign sold through the roof. And now streaming, which was kind of looked down at in the beginning of the industry, you know, the beginning of, of our career now streaming is, you know, like e equal to any studio, you know, buying a movie, you know, at least in my opinion, you know, streamers yeah. are, Thank God we have streamers today, and thank God there's you know so much money behind these streamers. So I I love to evolve, and I always tell George to to last twenty three years in this business. Um, you have to evolve. You cannot try to stay the course, you know, of, of which a lot of people do unfortunately, and they go out of business. But I think the ones that survive are the ones that are always trying to reinvent themselves, like. What can we do different? How do we tweak things? What's new in the business that we can try to be part of? And we're yeah. always trying to figure that out. Yeah, no, it's a good segue, uh, Randy. Obviously, now you're, you're starting to direct. I can't help but think about, uh, and I think you and I had a conversation about this uh, a while back, about having worked with Scorsese and then starting to segue now into directing. Did the experience with Marty influence that? Did you always know you wanted to do that? I know you're you are really a cinephile and I think what's crazy is a lot of people probably don't know that about you, that you really I, do love film and you love film history and you give a shit about filmmakers, but now you're going and actually helming them as a director and curious if Scorsese had any, I'm sure he did, but it was, was there, was that kernel in your yeah. head already? 
Yeah, it's funny that you kind of hit on all these beats, like cinephile. Like, very few people know that. Like, one of my agents at CA to, uh, about a week ago, in putting together this next movie that I might direct, he was saying, "It's just amazing what a cinephile you are, and very few people know it." And I think that is, um, unfortunately, as a producer, you know, there's so you know this, so much business and deal making, and you know, gets sometimes gets lost in the shuffle and people try to pigeonhole you in. But um, the, the answer to the question is, did I know I was going to direct? I always wanted to. And I said about seven years ago to myself, I'm going to direct one day when I feel mature enough to be able to handle living in the moment, moment to moment. Because I just think I was too all over the place, wanting to be a, a voice for writers and directors and I still love being a voice to writers and directors, but what happened, excuse me, what happened was I definitely Marty inspired me and I had talked to Marty and his team about, you know, possibly executive producing, uh, movies that I was going to direct and things like that. And, you know, we talked about taking it on a case by case basis, but really what happened for me is I felt, I was telling somebody this the other day, I felt creatively dead, like really really felt like I was, you know, just running in place. And I, I feel like I'm really good at putting movies together and getting them financed and getting other people's visions made. And I love it. It was a high and it still is a high, but I felt like I couldn't, like, where was my creative? Would I, when I first started making movies as a producer, I was so the biggest high, you know, but then as the business gets bigger, the movies get bigger the crews get bigger, you know, your role as a producer, you're, you're supporting, you know, these visions. And, and I am proud that I do that, but I think I hit a wall I'm 49 years old. I hit a wall where I'm like, God, it's getting, um, it's, I'm good at it. I love doing it, but it's not fulfilling me on the creative thing. So can I do both? Could I, could I go fulfill the creative? And so I didn't know what I was going to get out of it. That's the truth. And so I was, I was getting married April 18th, pre-COVID. Obviously, that's been pushed. And I thought I would chicken out or manipulate myself into pushing, right? Because I would get like nervous or I, I have the influence, I could move the movie. So I basically set up a schedule that I was going to direct on March 9th. I was going to wrap April 1st. I was going to have a bachelor party and then go get married. And I knew I couldn't push if I boxed it all in. And my fiance said, you're a lunatic. And I said, thank you. And, and I remember getting on the plane. I remember when I hired the DP, I didn't know what I was going to feel. I really didn't. And, and um, Mark Wahlberg called me and said, I'm telling you, I think this is going to be one of your callings. And I was like, why? And he's like, I just know you. you you're really no sets, you know script, you know actors, you know, you love actors. And, and I just... I just said, okay, you know, thank you. But I was still petrified. I was calling Antoine Fuqua every night to give me advice. I was having meltdowns. I was calling different directors, Polish. And, and I got to Puerto Rico and it was day one of pre. And within five days, I just felt like I was free. Like I felt <laughs> like, oh my God, this is where I'm supposed to be. And it was because I was living in the moment. Like everything stopped. And all it was, was about that script. No deal making, no, you know, what movie's going next? What this, what that? I'm not dealing with travel and, you know, all the things you deal with, uh, budgeting. And I just 
couldn't get enough. And then I was still reserved. I was still nervous because I hadn't started shooting yet. So I was like, okay, well, what if the pre-production process is so fun and I'm on this creative high? The actors get here and they all hate me. Like, what if everybody, Megan Fox, Bruce Willis tells me, I don't care 18 movies, I can't stand you. Like, I just got petrified again. And everybody's like, I've never seen, like, they were, the, the line producer and, the, and a lot of the crew were like, we've never seen a director go back to the same location seven times and block. You got this. And I was like, this isn't normal. They're like, no. So I know that I was so petrified that I was so, you know, obsessed with like making sure I had it down. And then the actors got in town and we did our first table read. And it just was like, it kept getting more magical by the minute. And the high was higher. And then day one came. And I just walked on that set and I just realized, like, I'm going to produce movies for the rest of my life because I'm really good at it and I love it. I love being a, a, a voice for a director and a writer. And, and, but, but this is the high where I get to fulfill. You know, I say directing for me is like, it's, um, I, I try to equate it like this for me. It's, it's, it's really being true like your truth it's like you can't make you can't bullshit like if you don't know something in producing you're like oh i'll get back to you i'll call you in a few minutes you know directing the actors look right through your soul you know you're sitting on the set there's 30 people around and they're like randy you know when i come through this story like five days ago where was i that afternoon and i'm like uh you were in tahiti like you know and it's like and if you don't know there's something beautiful for me. Like there was a moment in the first six days of shooting where, you know, cause I knew the script pretty good, but there was a moment where it was like three in the morning and we were in the final few takes. I was exhausted. And somebody asked me a question about something in the script and I just was like gone and exhausted. And, and I remember not knowing, I said, what do I do in this moment? Do I bullshit? Like, do I just kind of like improvise and, and see if I get it right? Or do I continue my truth? And, and, and that's what I love about directing. And I said to them, you know what? Just give me a minute. Let me, let me just look at the script for I just need one second. And no big deal. I looked and I go, yep, I was right about what I thought. Yes, you're right. I'm right. And, and there was no big deal. It was just this creative moment. And I really love pushing the actors in scenes and seeing them do things and tweaking things and pushing them and getting performances that you see in your head and they're so talented and it's just, it, it really, for me, I couldn't get enough of every moment. And I, I, I'm so excited to continue doing it. And if I could do a couple movies a year directing and the rest, you know, producing, you know, that, that would be the dream because, um, but yeah, Mark, I mean, all the directors have inspired me. I've seen the worst of the worst. I've been in really bad, you know, sets with directors that, you know, don't want to listen or, or just, you know, whatever, whatever it may be, you know, early on in my career. And I've seen the greatest, you know, directors in the world and I'm inspired by them and in awe of them. And I, and, and I just try to take everything I've learned from the 100 and plus movies I've done. And Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks... Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.
For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Try to put it put it out there as a director, but I think for me, directing allows me to stand still, stop moving, and just really be truthful, truthful in those moments and try to create and be an artist, which is why I got into the movie business. I didn't, I didn't get it. You know, I still look at myself as, you know, this nerdy kid from Miami that went to performing arts high school and was in the arts hall. I don't see myself as anything but that. So directing puts me right back in, in kind of like this safe space of like, I'm with other artists and we're all a little awkward and, but it's, but we're trying to create really cool and special moments. So that's it. It's great. Well, you, it's, it's funny. You say you don't see yourself any other way than, than that. But obviously I, I, I've you know, been in this business about, about 10 years and work with you now for the last few of them. Before I had worked with you, my perspective of you uh, was much more, you had worked with big movie stars for a long time. You made big action movies and genre movies, and you had a life that was fairly showman producership, like Jerry Weintraub or sort of the old school studio type uh, producer you may want to answer this or you may say matthew i don't want to answer it and edit this out but you're now actually living your life more in in the spotlight with the whole vanderpump rules and the mala kent of it i feel like for you it's a good extension of obviously forgetting about the relationship of it but it's it feels like it's again another part of you and, and the reinvention of yourself as a producer i know you're not yeah, you had commented to me not not loving being in front of the camera. Do you do you do you feel that way still? Is it something that's I, not natural to you? you? Know, I, yeah, I mean, I, you know, I I fought it for four years. You know, I, they asked me to appear for four years. I said no chance ever, and um, and then you know. Eh, not appearing, you know, they would talk about me on the show because I'm Lala's fiance and, you know, they would say things that I couldn't, you know, if you don't see somebody, sometimes you make assumptions or whatever. So we decided, she had been asking me for many years and finally I decided that I would support her career because she supports mine. You know, I go away or have to be in the office all the time, you know, whatever it is. So I said, I understand that it's getting awkward that I'm not there with you. Um, so we made, uh, I had a conversation with the producers. I said, look, I can't do this full time, but I, I'll show up a few times and, you know, with Lala, et cetera. Um, I was uncomfortable when I first did it, you know, like I, I, you know, talking about movies, I could do that for a year, but, but having three cameras and uh, a crew and, and I have to be like the person in the scene, it's very awkward. Um, but I'd say by the end of the summer, you know, the end of filming, after I'd done it like 15, 16 times, I was comfortable. Lala's a pro, and so it was easy because I was my partner. But um, I don't know if I'll ever say that, like, I love it. <laughs> I, don't ever, I don't ever see me going, God, I really want more of this. Um, but I think you're right. I Being with somebody who's on television or who's a personality of any sort, you don't like. I didn't know going into the relationship that I would ever, ever 
be talked about on any level. Like I thought, oh, I'm dating a, like, like, you know, I'm dating a, a girl who's on a reality show. They don't care about me. I'm a movie producer. She's a reality star. And then all of a sudden within like a month, there are articles, you know, Randall Emmett, and I'm like, what is good? I, and I, she'll tell you, probably for the first year I had, I thought I had to go to therapy. I mean, I was going to like real, like my therapist, excuse me. And there's nothing wrong with therapy. I like therapy clearly. Um, but, but you know, but, but you know, like I, I would go to my therapist and say, I'm having a meltdown. Like I'm not okay. They're writing about me. I don't know why they, it's not always nice. And this is crazy. I know paranoid because you have kids and you're like thinking oh my god they're gonna google one day and how do i all this craziness and so you know it took me you know lala was like really helpful she's like babe it's just you you know i had a crossroad i had a moment to say you know do i want to be in this world and step out or is the person i'm in love with you know worth it and i was you know i'm in love with my partner clearly you know clearly you know we're getting married and so that was never an option for me. Like leaving was never an option. So I just had, like, I, I just had to get used to it. And it took me some work and some time with, with a therapist and also Lala, you know, saying to me, babe, this is not the real world. Like whatever's written, whatever they say, doesn't matter. Like you and I love each other. We're a couple and you just got to know that. And, and after about a year, maybe a year and a half maybe plus, let's say, I, I would say, by the time, by the time two years was in, I then I didn't I didn't care anymore. I just know that this is part of it, of her life. You know, this is what comes with her life. And look, there are a lot of pluses of, of her being on television. You know, um, they send you free shit. You know, hey, I never got a free thing in my life, so you know, I paid for everything. You know, so so that so that's fun. And you know, you go to a hotel on vacation, and you know they give you all types of things and they upgrade you to big suites and I'm not paying. And I'm like, okay, you know, and so then, so I, the pluses were, that were fun. And, you know, at the end of the day, you know, I feel like a healthy relationship is one that supports each other's careers. I support her. I didn't have a, a you don't have a choice when your partner is a, a working successful, uh, you know, personality and, I'm proud of her that she makes the money that she does and works as hard as she does and she supports my career. So, you know, there really wasn't uh, a question. It was more just get an adjustment period. And the adjustment period was, was very, very tough for me. Uh, somebody who's been in the business 23 years, uh, you know, the only interviews I ever, ever did was on a red carpet opening a movie. And it was literally maybe seven of them. You know what I mean? Like nobody gave a shit about what I say. And, I, and I'll tell you my moment, my, my moment that I realized, oh my God, this is out of control. I was at the Academy Awards and you know, you get used to it after four and a half years together, you get used to people coming up and say, oh my God, you're Lala's fiance. You get used to that part of it after 500 times, right? So you know you're Lala's fiance to her fans, right? You're not a movie producer. You're not a dad. You don't have a career of your own. You're just a fiance. That's fine. I accept that. But um, when I was on the red carpet at, for the Academy Awards, one of my highlights of my career for the Irishman, Em and I were walking uh, together and getting into the event. And they have these stands with all these fans. And, and all of a sudden, uh, 
they're like, I, I heard, uh, like when I was doing an interview, I heard, Brad, and they're screaming my name. And I'm going, oh my God, it's so cool. I produce the Irishman. I have like five fans that love the Irishman. So, because that's how delusional I am about. So I'm like, I'm like, and I look around and I go back and I finish the interview. I'm like, Rand, can we get a picture? And I walk over and I'm like, so proud of Irishman. And they're like, where's Lala? And I'm like, okay. <laughs> I, I walked right in the venue. I went right in. I didn't talk to another person. So that just shows you that, you know, she, you know, not my generation, but their generation, you know, how the media and television, you know, social media has a big impact on society, yeah. you know. So, yeah. Well, I know I want to be respectful of your time. I want to ask yeah. one final thing. Yeah. You've answered it a few different ways, but you, you are always a, uh, you're, you are never short nor boring with your words, so it's worth asking the question. Uh, I always end these discussions by saying, looking back now on your career, what would you tell yourself sitting where you sit today versus where you sat when you were first starting? What, what piece of advice or pieces of advice? That's a great question. Um, I like the way I did things, right? Meaning like I like that I was brave and bold to not, I would tell myself, okay, there's two things I tell myself. One, I would tell myself the same thing I told myself then, which is don't let people tell me I can't do things, which I did, which I, which I, in my mind, when people say, you know, quiet down or you're not doing it the right way, or you need to be more polished or whatever that I, I I'm proud of myself. But the one piece of advice I would give my younger self, which I was not good at, which I feel I'm, I've, mastered in my older age um would be to listen more i wasn't the best listener you know in from like 20 remember i got thrusted in to producing at like 27 28 and i would say up until about when i had kids you know in my early you know early 40s i really just didn't listen great and today i try to listen more than i speak when i'm sitting with people so that i can hear because I feel like I'm smarter that way. And I think that a lot of young people, and specifically my younger self, I had a lot to say. <laughs> and sometimes it was, you know, it just, I, I should have been listening more because I was around some incredible, incredible, incredibly talented, wiser, smarter, more successful people. And, uh, and, and I think if I would have listened a little more, I probably would have learned a little more uh, in my younger self. And, and, you know, I'm doing... Today, I'm doing much more of that, uh, you know, when I'm around different filmmakers and different writers and directors and executives. I really like to hear their stories and, and everything. And maybe that was just a, excuse me, like an immaturity thing or a attention deficit disorder thing. But, but that's the thing I always look back and I go, I didn't listen as well yeah. as I spoke. So, yeah. Got it. No, Randy, I really, really appreciate it, man. Thank you for, for taking the time. And yeah. uh, I know we're catching up on the other side of the COVID tunnel and getting things back into production. I'm looking forward to it. Thanks, Matthew. Thank you, dude. Really appreciate it. All right, buddy. Thank you all for listening to another episode of Greenlit, the Buffalo 8 podcast. For financing questions, feel free to contact us at Bondit Media Capital at info at bondit.us. For production, development, and distribution questions, feel free to contact us at Buffalo 8 info at buffalo8.com. 
We'd love to hear from you and hope you continue listening to the podcast episodes ahead. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.